He was their mentor, their rabbi, their teacher. He was more than that. He was their best friend. He was the one for whom they gave up everything. Their families, their homes, their businesses that they left and they followed. He was the one that they saw heal the sick, feed the hungry, give hope to the hopeless. He was the one that they knew the prophets had been talking about. The one that would not only restore Jerusalem to her former glory, but would make Jerusalem the center point, the focal point of the entire world that would bring God's kingdom. But then, he was betrayed and brutally murdered. Their hopes, their dreams, dashed, destroyed. But then, one Sunday morning, it all changed, didn't it? One Sunday morning, everything changed. Not just everything for those apostles, but everything changed for humanity, for everyone, for all of us. And that's what we're going to talk about in our series this month. The resurrection is the event that changes everything. As Quinton put it and, and alluded to in his communion focus, that there is nothing more practical than talking about the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It changes the way we feel about our doubts and our fears. It changes the way that we feel about the way we live our lives every day, day in and day out, what our jobs mean, what family means. It changes the way we hear the words cancer changes the way we hear the words death. It changes the way we feel about guilt, the way we feel about fear. It changes everything. And Christianity has as its pivotal point what makes Christianity Christianity, and I'm going to make this bold statement that's on the screen, that if the resurrection is a lie, then no one should be a Christian. And that's really what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, listen, if the resurrection is a lie, then what we're preaching to you is a lie. It's futile. It's in vain. And your faith is in vain. If the resurrection isn't true, if it's a lie, then no one should be a Christian. But if the resurrection is true, then everyone should be a Christian. If the resurrection is true, then Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way to the Father is through Christ. And so, everything comes down to this question, doesn't it? Everything about our life, everything about what we're doing here, everything about our very existence comes down to this question, is the resurrection true? Did God really come to earth as a man? Did He die on the cross? Was He buried in a tomb? Did He, was He raised 
from the dead. And if that's true, then everything must change. The way we live our lives, the way we think about God, the way we think about ourselves, the way we think about the future, everything has to change if that's true. Now, somebody here this morning may very well be skeptical about the resurrection. And and I want to tell you, why, why wouldn't you be a little bit skeptical about the resurrection, right? I mean, this is kind of strange stuff, isn't it? I mean, we share with all humanity a common experience, right? That we have all buried loved ones. We've all had friends and family members, people that we love dearly, that have breathed their last breath, and we've buried them. And that's the last we've seen of them. People don't come back from the dead. That is our common experience. That's what we've seen, and we've never seen anything different than that. When you bury someone, three days later, they're still in the grave. That's our common experience. And so if somebody goes around talking about how someone came back from the dead, and not just came back from the dead as in revived, but resurrected with a new body that would never die again, the first fruits of a new creation... You say, well, that's a little hard to believe, right? That's a little difficult to believe. So some people might very well be very skeptical about that. And others of us might believe it simply because we've never questioned it. We've never really thought about it. I'd say sometimes we know it intellectually. We've heard it a thousand times. We've grown up going to church. We've heard it. And so intellectually we believe it, but it hasn't really sunk into our hearts. It hasn't really captured our imagination and we haven't really stopped to ask ourselves, what if this really is true? What if this, in every detail, is really the real reality? What if, what if God, the second person of the Godhead, came to this earth and He died for us and He conquered sin and death for us and He rose from the dead and what is coming is His second coming and a resurrection and what if all of this glorious truth really is true? So, Whoever you are, whether you're skeptical about it and you say, I just don't know about all of this stuff, or, or you, you believe it intellectually, but you really haven't let it sink into your heart, or even if you have let it sink into your heart and you believe it with every fiber of your being, then it's always good to talk about what the Bible says about resurrection. See, because if you're skeptical about it, you need to know that the Bible isn't all just written to say, hey, it happened, just accept it and get over it. The Bible is written, a lot of it, and what we're going to read this morning, 1 Corinthians 15, is written by an apostle that throughout his career as an apostle, he was constantly questioned. Skeptics constantly said, I don't know about this Paul guy, I don't know if he's telling the truth. And so he didn't just write these books and write this evidence to say, hey, it's true, just accept it and get over it. It's true because I said it's true. He laid out, here's why you should Believe it. If I'm going to tell you a truth that is going to change everything for you and for all humanity, I better give you some proof, right? I better be able to tell you why you should believe it. Why it is so true that you can put, you can take it to the bank, as it were. You can build your life on this cornerstone, on this foundation. 
So this morning, I want to look at 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to go through this chapter throughout this month and talk about some different things, what it changes for you, how it changes your life. But this morning, I want to talk about five reasons that Paul lays out to believe in the resurrection. Five reasons to believe in the resurrection. And again, if you're at all skeptical, that's okay because the people that Paul was writing to were skeptical as well. In fact, he was writing to a group of Christians who had been convinced or started to be convinced by other people that resurrection in general and that idea of people ever coming back from the dead, that that's just ridiculous. And they were starting to accept or think about at least, maybe this isn't true. Maybe people don't come back from the dead. And so Paul writes to them to say, nonsense. I know for a fact that people come back from the dead because Jesus came back from the dead. If people don't come back from the dead, then Jesus didn't come back from the dead. And if Jesus didn't come back from the dead, then what are we doing here? This is all a waste of time. But in fact, Paul says, but in fact, Jesus did come back from the dead. And here's how we know that's true. So look at chapter 15, verse 1. So Paul says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, now, that's, that's something we have to remember too, isn't it? That, that Christianity is about the gospel. And what does that mean? It means the good what? News, right? The good news. Now, good news is about something that happened. You see, other world religions might be based around a, a philosophy or even a set of rules to say, hey, if you live your life this way, the gods or the god or whomever they believe in or worship will be pleased and, and things will go well for you if you live your life according to this philosophy or according to this set of rules. But Christianity is different because Christianity revolves not around a philosophy or even a set of rules, but it revolves around an event, An event, something that happened, that's what news is, right? When I come to you and I say, hey, I've got good news, that means something happened. What happened? You say, I've got good news. You say, what is it? What what happened? And so Paul says, I want to remind you about the good thing that happened. Now, don't get me wrong, because of that good thing that happened, it shapes our philosophy, doesn't it? It shapes how we think. It shapes what we teach. It it does shape our rules for living. But it's not primarily based around a philosophy. We don't accept Christianity because we like Jesus' teachings alone, right? We don't just say, well, you know, I like that Jesus teacher. He taught some good things. Therefore, I'm going to be a Christian. No, Christianity isn't just about those teachings. Christianity is about an event. Primarily, he'll say in a minute, the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Anointed One, that He came back from the dead. And so He says, I remind you, brothers, of the gospel, this good news that I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if. Our Wednesday night, How to Study the Bible class, we've been talking about words like if, right? Hinge words, conditional words. So Paul is writing to these Christians and he's saying, listen, I have to remind you about this good news about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And this is the truth. This is the the life-changing, world-changing, earth-shattering truth that you received, in which you stand, and by which you're being saved. If, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. 
She's saying, I'm afraid it's all going to be a waste. Your initial belief, your initial excitement, your initial reception of the good news to say, wow, that's awesome. The Son of God came to earth and died on a cross, was buried in a tomb and rose from the dead and I can be part of his chosen race and royal priesthood and holy nation and you accepted it and received it but now you're beginning to waver in your faith and you're letting the skeptics, the naysayers, the false teachers tell you don't believe in that stuff. Don't believe in that supernatural. Don't believe in that resurrection. Don't believe in that coming back from the dead stuff and now your faith is beginning to waver and your belief, your reception of the truth will be in vain If you fall and you let them convince you that this truth isn't true. Verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. You know, I, I have to tell you a little story. This is a side note, but it touched my heart last night. Last night I was sitting down with my boys and we were, we were doing our family devotional time and praying and reading a little bit of the Sermon on the Mount. And, and so I was talking to them about loving their enemies. And, and I said to the boys, I said, do you know what that, that looks like to love your enemies? And do you know why we do that? It's because that's what Jesus did for us. And I said, do you know who Jesus' enemies were? I said, me. And they said, what? Why would you be Jesus' enemy? I said, I was. Because I sinned and I rebelled against God. But He loved me and people like me so much. He died for our rebellion, for our sin, so that we could be saved. And my little five-year-old Noah, he got a little quivery little lip. You know how little kids do? And he hid his face a little bit. And he said, sometimes that still makes me sad. I thought, good. Good. I'm so glad it makes you sad. I'm so glad the gospel touches your heart. See, sometimes we can become so familiar with it. And it can become so second nature to us that it doesn't touch our heart to think that Jesus died for our sins. But here's the first reason that we believe in the resurrection. Paul says that He died for our sins and He was raised from the dead. How? According to to the Scriptures, right? So the first reason we believe in the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the Anointed One of God, is because it is in accordance with Scripture. What what do we mean by that? Well, we mean that not only did the prophets all point forward to it, but the whole of the Old Testament foreshadows it. And points forward to it. In fact, when we, when we get to the gospel, when we get to what Jesus did through his death and his burial and his resurrection, it makes the first part of the story, the old covenant with the Jews, it makes that make even more sense than it made before. You ever watch a movie like that? You're watching a movie and it all seems to make sense. And it's all going along just fine. And and you think you kind of know where the story is going. And you think you kind of know where it's all leading to. And then something happens and it, it changes it. And you're like, whoa, that wasn't what I was expecting at all. But now, now it all makes perfect sense. 
Now, the first part of the story makes even more sense than it made before. And you say to yourself after the movie, i got to go back and watch that again, right? i got to go back and watch that again, knowing what I know now. And that's Paul's entire ministry, was to go to the Jews and say, do you see, do you see how the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus makes all of Scripture make even more sense than it made before? Oh, it all made sense going along, and they all thought they knew and had a good comprehension and understanding of God and who God was and what God was doing in the world. But then when Jesus came, for those that loved and accepted the truth, they said, wow, this is it. This is this makes more sense of everything. Do you see how so much of the Old Testament is a resurrection story? I think all the time about Joseph. You know, Joseph, betrayed by his brothers, like Jesus was betrayed by his brothers. He was thrown into a pit. They were going to kill him, just like Jesus was betrayed and killed by his brothers. And then Joseph was resurrected out of the pit. He was brought back to life, wasn't he? And so that he could go and he could ascend to the throne of Egypt, right? Just as Jesus was resurrected so that he could ascend to the throne of humanity and have all authority in heaven and on earth. So very many stories like that about atonement, sacrifice, faithfulness, death and resurrection. Not like Jesus' resurrection. So Jesus' resurrection is so much better, but it all points forward to that, doesn't it? Even the story of Jonah, that, that wicked prophet, that disobedient, hard-hearted prophet, even that story points forward to the resurrection of Jesus, doesn't it? Here you have, here you have one who was thrown into the sea and swallowed up, and three days later he came out alive so that he could lead a host of people to God, just as Jesus did, was resurrected, came back, so that he could lead a host to God. We see it, don't we? When Peter preached the first gospel sermon on the day of Pentecost, he was saying the same thing, wasn't he? He was saying, listen, this all makes sense, doesn't it? It makes sense in light of what has been written for a thousand years. It all makes sense of our history and our past and our scriptures. He says in Acts chapter 2, this is Peter talking now on the day of Pentecost, he says that Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, that those people crucified and killed him by the hands of lawless men, but God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for it to, for him to be held by it, for him to be held by death. And he says that David talks about this. He said David wrote about this, and he quotes and says, David said this, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, that is, the realm of the dead, or let your Holy One see corruption. You've made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. And Peter says, brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he died and was buried. So he wasn't talking about himself not being abandoned to the realm of dead. He was really talking about, he says in verse 30, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would send or would set one of his descendants, one of David's descendants on his throne, He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection 
of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Peter says, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. See, so that's the first reason we believe in the resurrection. is because for over a thousand years, God was pointing forward to what he was going to do that Sunday morning in Jerusalem in raising his son from the dead. The second reason we read, and the second reason we believe in the resurrection, look at verse 5 of 1 Corinthians 15. It says that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and to the twelve, to the other apostles. So there's the second reason we believe in the resurrection is because Peter and the apostles were eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? They said, listen, we're preaching this good news to you. Peter stood up on Pentecost. He went before the Sanhedrin. He went everywhere he could to tell people, we can't help speak about what we've seen and heard. We've seen Jesus raised from the dead. We can't help but tell people about it. And you think, well, of course he did, right? I mean, he's an apostle. Of course he went and said that Jesus was raised from the dead. Why wouldn't he say that? That's what the apostles did. So, but wait. You remember who Peter was? I mean, right before Jesus was killed, when he was on trial, there were people asking him, hey, hey, I recognize you. You're one of his guys, aren't you? And Peter said, I don't know that dude, right? Oh, he didn't say dude, right? But but he said, I I don't know that guy. I mean, he even swore with an oath. I don't know him. Peter acted like a coward. To save his own neck, he denied Jesus. But then a couple months later, less than two months later, we see Peter proclaiming for all to hear at risk of his own life. No, I know him. Not only do I know him, I'm with him. I'll die with him because he's raised from the dead. What changed? He saw the resurrected Lord. Peter says in his second epistle, chapter 1 and verse 16, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. See, that's why we proclaim the Bible, Scripture. That's why we say, you want to know why I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? It's because these New Testament books were written by men, most of whom, who saw Jesus with their own eyeballs who knew for a fact that he was dead and buried, and then they saw him alive, and it changed everything for them. Okay, verse 6. Then Jesus appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep, some have died, that is. So there's the, the next reason The third reason we believe in the resurrection is because there were all of these hundreds of living witnesses. If you don't believe it, go ask them, right? Now, obviously, we can't go ask them, but that's what Paul is saying. Paul isn't saying, hey, I'm an apostle. Take my word for it. Jesus rose from the dead. No. He's saying there's hundreds of people that saw the resurrected Jesus. You don't believe me? Ask them, right? Ask Peter. Ask the other apostles. Ask any of these 500 people who, over that 40-day period, saw Jesus alive. They talked with him. They ate with him. They touched him. They saw him. He wasn't a ghost. He wasn't a figment of their imagination. He wasn't a vision. He was real. 
He was the most real one that has ever been. And he changed reality for everyone. Look at verse 7. Fourth reason we believe in the resurrection. Then he appeared to James. And, and that's probably the brother of Jesus, right? And what do we know about Jesus' mom and brothers when, when he was doing his ministry and his work? Well, there was a time they probably thought that he was out of his mind, right? I mean, that's what you would think, right? I mean, you, you have, if you have brothers and sisters and they go off talking about how they're the king of the world, I mean, you're going to think they lost their mind, right? I know them, right? I saw them. I grew up with them, right? So James, at one point, thought, man, that's, that's Jesus. That's my brother we don't talk about, right? But now, I gotta tell everybody about him. Because why? Because he's the Son of God. Because he died for our sins. He was buried. And then he rose from the dead. And, and I imagine if you were to talk to James, you were to go to Jerusalem where he was a leader in the congregation there, and you were to ask James and say, tell me about your brother Jesus. His eyes would get big. And you say, well, I don't know if I believe this whole resurrection thing. He'd look at you and say, why not? I saw him. He appeared. He was there. I know he was dead. My mom was there when he was crucified. I know for a fact he was dead, and I know for a fact that he rose from the dead. And this is the truth. And then he says, to the other apostles. And I think here, the word apostles is being used in more of a generic sense. Apostle means somebody that's sent out on a mission. He's a missionary, right? And so Jesus appeared to so many people. And what did they do after they saw Jesus? Even if before they were cowards, even if before they didn't believe in him, even if before they denied it, even if before they were skeptics, they went into the world and they said, everybody has to know this. If the resurrection was a lie, nobody needs to be a Christian. But if the resurrection is true, then everybody needs to know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Everyone needs to know that He died for their sins. Everyone needs to know that He lives and He reigns. See, that's what we do. That's what we do when we know. When we know, not just intellectually, not when we just say, well, you know, I'm pretty sure about this whole resurrection thing. I think it's true. I grew up in a Christian home. I go to church on Sundays. And if it really sinks into our hearts, we become missionaries, don't we? We become missionaries in our workplaces, missionaries in our schools. We don't beat people over the head, but any chance we get to tell them good news and we say something has happened. Something that has happened that changes everything. It changes the world. And it will change you if you'll believe it and accept it. And we don't expect you to believe it blindly. But believe it because it's in accordance with the Scripture. Believe it because Peter and the other apostles saw the resurrected Lord. Believe it because hundreds of people that testified to Jesus' resurrection believe it. Believe it because his own brother says that it's true. Believe it because the apostles, the missionaries who went into the world believe that it's true. And finally, the last reason, number five, verse eight. Paul says this, Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Remember when that happened? The road to Damascus. Paul is walking along on his way to Damascus to arrest Christians, to put them in jail because they're a bunch of crazy heretics that are, that are hurting the cause of Israel. He was on his way to arrest and imprison Christians. And Jesus appeared to him. He says, verse 9, For I am the least of the apostles, 
unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that's with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached and so you believed. Let's talk about Paul for just a second. Saul of Tarsus. Now, the fact that the leading persecutor of Christianity became a Christian should cause every skeptic to stop in their tracks and say, man, what would it take for that to happen, right? What would it take for the leading persecutor of Christianity to suddenly stop and accept Christianity as the truth? Not just accept it and start going to church on Sundays, but accept it so much that they said, man, I got, I got to make up for lost time. I gotta go into all the world and I gotta tell people about this resurrected one. I was thinking, I like silly analogies because that way it sticks in your head. But, but what if, what if there was somebody that devoted their entire life? They're young and ambitious. They got a great head on their shoulders. They're smart and well educated. They're a leading scientist. They have several PhDs and, and, and they devote their life to debunking the myth of the Bigfoot, right? They say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to devote my life to proving to people that there is no Bigfoot. Now, I'm not making a claim one way or the other on finding Bigfoot. I don't, I don't know. It's just, a, it's just an analogy. So what, what if somebody said, I'm going to devote my entire life to that, to debunking that myth, and one day they're on their way to a conference where they're about to, to expose them and, 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 and put them down and all the people that believe in the Bigfoot and, and they're about, he's, I'm, I'm going to embarrass them so bad. They're not going to know what hit them. And on the way, something happens where now they don't just walk away saying, I'm not so sure anymore. I'm not so sure that I was right. No. They walk away saying, I'm going to throw away everything I had before. My entire career, all of my education, everything I was working for to show that this was a lie, now I've changed my position and I so much believe that it's true, I'm going to become the leading advocate of the truthfulness of these claims. That's exactly who Paul was, right? Paul was the guy who wanted to see Christianity snuffed out, who didn't believe it for a moment. He believed in resurrection in a general sense, that at the end of the age that there would be a resurrection. But he certainly didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He certainly didn't believe that Jesus came back from the dead. I'm sure he had his guesses about what happened with Jesus' body. But on that day, on the road to Damascus, he knew without a doubt what happened. And he walked away saying, not only... Am I going to change my position? I'm going to become the leading advocate for Christianity in the world. Ends up writing more books in the New Testament than anybody else. And if you're not so sure, you got to stop and think about those truths, those evidences, those proofs, right? you got to stop and ask yourself, how is it that someone born... In Jeru or in Bethlehem, rather, would, would grow up and be 33 years old and end up fulfilling and being the, the fulfillment of all of the promises and even all of the stories of the Old Testament would end up shining light on everything and making everything in, in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, make even more sense than it did before. How could someone do that? How could it be that he appears after his death to his apostles? 
And then how could it be that he appears to hundreds more and to his brother and to other missionaries who would go out into the world? And how could it be that the leading skeptic, the leading persecutor, the one who would rather kill a Christian than become a Christian, how could it be that suddenly his mind is so drastically changed? You've got to deal with those things. As for me, I am firmly convinced more than I know that my own name is Wes McAdams. I can't prove to you. I can show you my birth certificate, but you might even question that, right? More, more than my own name, I'm convinced that Jesus Christ not only is the Son of God, not only that He died for my sins, but that He rose from the dead. And that changes everything for me. It changes how I parent. It changes how I love my wife. It changes what I think of death. It changes what I think of sin. And so the question is, do we believe that Christ is risen? One more time, Peter's words in Acts chapter 2 and verse 24. God raised Him from the dead, freeing Him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on Him. Let's say a prayer real quick. Father God, convince us through Your Word of the truth. Help us to know, not just in mind, but in heart and in our soul, with our very strength, help us to know that Christ is risen. Help us, Father, to Think of His death and His resurrection at every turn of our lives this week. And Father, if there's one who hasn't yet put Christ on in baptism, help them to make that decision. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In a moment, our elders would love to meet with you in a room in the back after services are done. But if you're here and you're convinced, maybe you've known for a long time and you just need to get back on track and live a life that reflects the fact that you believe Christ is risen. Or maybe for the first time, you need to be buried with Jesus in baptism so that you can be raised up to walk in a resurrected life, in a new life. Whatever it may be, if we can help you, come forward now as we stand and sing.